You and Today and Here's London present Health Today, a series of interviews with health professionals who share their personal stories, their responsibilities at work, and their vision for the future. Today, we meet Anil Soni, Chief Executive Officer at the WHO Foundation. Anil, thank you very much for taking the time to come to the Palais des Nations at the United Nations office in Geneva. We know that um, that you have a very busy schedule in, in this intense engagement in which you have immersed yourself. Um, I propose to start this exchange with a, a, a typical job interview question, if you like. Um, what can you tell us about yourself? I am a child of a refugee of partition. My dad and then my mom uh, grew up in India. They came to the United States to seek a better life, to try to build for their family a level of success and comfort that they didn't think was possible in India. So that's where I grew up. And growing up in the United States with them as parents, my goal was to be successful um, and make them proud. And when I went to university, uh, I had the opportunity at that time to do some volunteer work in West Africa. Ghana was the first country on the continent that I stepped foot on, uh, and I lived in a village of 500 people. And what I saw then, many years ago now, was that thanks to my parents, I had a lot of opportunity, but not everyone in the world does. That human potential is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. And so that led me to asking, how can I help? And the way that I've tried to help in my life is a career in global public health, uh, which is tied up into human rights and development and education, um, economic empowerment. But health as a starting point has always made a lot of sense to me. And so I've spent my career working on expanding access to medicine and healthcare in the public sector, in the private sector, um, with the United Nations, with companies, always looking to solve the same problem and serve the same people, um, but from uh, different platforms. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing so much. Um, I propose you now to, to enter uh, the field of your, of your working life. What exactly do you do at work? Well, I'm the founder of a startup, really. The WHO Foundation is a new organization. We're 21 months old. And even though the WHO is 75 years old, the WHO Foundation is an independent Swiss foundation that was created in the middle of the pandemic. I've had the opportunity in my life uh, and in my career to help get new organizations started, including the Global Fund, which is now 20 years old, and Unitaid, the Clinton Health Access Initiative, So this is my latest turn at a startup. In this instance, when you ask me what I do, part of what I have to do is conceive of the strategy. So beyond the bylaws and beyond the mission statement and beyond the board, how do we bring the promise of the WHO Foundation to life? What are we going to do? Who are we going to work with? How are we going to judge success? How are we going to communicate with the communities that we intend to serve? So the strategy of the organization is one. The second is building a team that can execute. I'm one person. We have a big mission. So the way that we're going to be successful in serving our mission is recruiting a team of incredibly talented people from the public and the private sectors to fulfill the different functions we have, everything from strategy and fundraising to operations. So that's the second job I have is to 
recruit a team and, and to lead them. And the third job I have is to ensure that we're executing, making sure that relative to that team and relative to that strategy, we're not just speaking big words or making big promises, but we're actually following through and that we're achieving impact. And for the WHO Foundation, that means raising resources, but then getting those resources to where they're needed, and then translating the spending of those resources into an impact on human lives, and then reporting that back and ensuring that we can be accountable for what we've done. Well, now, based on this, we could say adrenalinic responsibility and initiative. Uh, what, what would be your role or how do you see yourself and your organization in the future? Well, certainly one of the goals of the WHO Foundation is to raise resources, to, to fundraise, to, to raise money. And I, I say this as a starting point, not an end point, because often, particularly in the context of humanitarian and health emergencies, a World Health Organization that is underfunded, honestly, we operate from a place of scarcity. And so we ask ourselves, how do we make, raise enough money so that we can just do the work? as opposed to what are we working backwards from? So in 10 years, what is a vision of success? And for the WHO, the vision of success is health for all, not a well-funded WHO. The mission, the vision of the organization is to ensure that people all around the world, whether in the context of an emergency or not, have access to high quality, affordable health care. So that's my vision. And the way that I think the WHO Foundation can help achieve that vision is to bring the best of the public sector together with the best of the private sector. And that's about more than just money. That's about ensuring that we can bridge what is too often a divide. The WHO's work, because it's normative, historically there's been uh, an apprehension about working closely with the private sector. You don't want to compromise the integrity or independence of the WHO scientific work. That's absolutely right. But Dr. Tedros, the Director General of the WHO, has had a vision of transformation and innovation. And so what we're trying to do with the foundation is be a convener, a platform, where the private sector can engage and understand the work of the WHO. So of course, you can support it, and so we have more money from philanthropists and businesses and the public but also so that we can engage those communities and inspire them. In 10 years, I want the public around the world to think of the WHO as not an organization in Geneva, by the way, most of the people aren't in Geneva, but as an instrument for global good, as an organization that's in the ground, that's delivering healthcare. I want businesses to see in the WHO a partner where they can work with the WHO to accomplish common aims in a way that continues to protect the independence of WHO. I also want the WHO Foundation to be a tool to better align private capital with public good. Do you know that in all of global healthcare spending each year, only one half of 1% is development assistance for health? So if you add up the budget of the WHO and the Global Fund and Gavi, it only adds up to one half of 1% of all of the healthcare spending in the world each year. So what we really have to do to achieve health for all is make sure that that private capital, the return-seeking investment, is also a force for good and achieving equitable access. That is the broader vision of making sure that the foundation 
can take the work of the WHO, more strongly connect it to the private sector, so that together the public and the private sector can achieve the vision of WHO, which is health for all. Good. So, in your, in your, in your last answer, you mentioned that uh, part of, or all the staff members of your team are not based in Geneva. Yeah. Um, what is the advantage of this, uh, and or what is the strategy behind this decision? Well, part of the answer is that we were created in the middle of COVID. <laughs> so creating an organization in the middle of the pandemic meant creating a virtual organization. We're a Swiss foundation, mm -hmm. and so being based here in Geneva is integral to who we are as an organization. But what we're seeking to do is connect wealth and opportunity in the private sector to needs in typically low and middle income countries. And I don't think you can do that if you don't have engagement in the places where that wealth and opportunity sits and also in the places where the need exists. So today, for example, I have a colleague who's based in the United States who's mm -hmm. focused on engaging philanthropists in that country. Mm -hmm. And I have a colleague in Zimbabwe who is focused on describing for those philanthropists the needs of health emergencies on the continent of Africa. I expect that the organization will be rooted in Geneva, that the majority of our staff will be here but I think it's incredibly important for us to have the flexibility mm -hmm. to hire more widely and for us to have strong relationships in many places other than Geneva because our success as an organization will depend on the strength of those relationships. Okay. Um, in, your, in your communication, you, you say that um, um, the organization wants to wants to tackle the biggest global health challenges. Um, now that COVID is almost out, sure. What would be the biggest challenge to you? Well, I think the question's always harder if you're asking the biggest challenge versus the biggest challenges. I'd say the biggest. The biggest challenge is that despite 20 years of a renaissance in global health, mm -hmm. where we've had far more funding, more organizations, more attention focused on global health than the 50 years prior, we have a very fragile uh, system to deliver healthcare. So if you look at health emergencies, 100 million people are displaced and refugees. If you look at health systems and the fact that they were so severely impacted by COVID-19, immunization rates dropped. Despite 20 years of improved access to vaccines or HIV AIDS medicines, we don't have self-sustaining health systems globally. We don't have an adequate health workforce. So. I'd say the biggest challenge is that we haven't built long-term capacity to deliver healthcare. And that capacity is everything from those healthcare workers to the manufacturing platforms that can make the medicines and vaccines at low prices in these settings. I, I think that is a tremendous challenge and it's getting harder, not easier, not just because of COVID-19, but because of climate change. 
and because of geopolitical and economic instability. So relative to all of that, Mm -hmm. and that's a lot of challenge, I genuinely believe engagement with the private sector is an opportunity. It's Mm -hmm. not a way out. Mm -hmm. When a challenge becomes so big, like climate change or health for all, I don't think you can achieve it as either public sector or private sector alone. So the reason I'm so excited about the WHO Foundation is because I think the WHO is a platform for massive impact, more so than the world actually understands. The WHO approved more COVID-19 vaccines than the US FDA or the European Medicines Agency. That has a huge impact on business. That unleashed billions of dollars of trade and travel and tourism. And yet the WHO is not seen to have the type of impact potential than it does. But that potential, I think, depends very much on working with, not independently of, the private sector. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, How is the integration of the funds provided by the member of states and the funds provided by the foundation implemented? So the WHO is very transparent about how it uses money. It has a global program of work, which typically lasts three years, and then each year it has a program budget, and that program of work and the program budget are approved by the World Health Assembly. So every government in the world sits down through its representatives Mm -hmm. in the World Health Assembly and says, here's what the WHO is working on. No, No secrets. The funding for that then needs to be mobilized. So what the WHO does through the assembly and its secretariat is say, here's our ambition, here's what we want to do, now we have to go raise the money to do it. And historically, there has not been enough assessed contribution of member states to fully fund its budget. Mm -hmm. What we are doing as the WHO Foundation is effectively acting as a new donor. So we are trying to go and raise resources from a lot of sources, businesses, philanthropists, the public, Mm -hmm. and then aggregate that for particular programs at WHO, its response to Ukraine, for example, And then we donate that money to the same pot as the member states contribute their funds. And so the money is used just like member state contributions for the WHO's program of work and program budgets. Okay. And um, do you you know beforehand where those funds are going to be allocated? Like Mm -hmm. for for which cause? Yeah. So, of course, what the WHO's leadership is seeking is more unrestricted funding. And I appreciate the importance of that. But what gets philanthropists and businesses and the public excited is to say, I wanna help Ukraine. I wanna help in the Horn of Africa or in the Sahel region. There's many philanthropists, in fact, who say, let's say from Latin America, I want my money to be used in Latin America. So we're trying to find a balance between the intent of a donor, for example, to have Uh, as much impact as possible, right? Effective altruism. And where at the WHO that can be done, not in a way that creates donor influence, but tries to be a matchmaker between the programs at WHO that do exactly that work. So it's designed by WHO Mm -hmm. and the interest of the philanthropist or business, and that's where we try to make the connection. We can't fundraise for everything. We're a small organization. And so what we're trying to do at any given time is have four or five major areas of the WHO's work that we're mobilizing resources for. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, 
Generally speaking, the, the allocation of funds raised usually go to respond to emergencies, right? right? Um, and in some cases, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, some, some donors would respond maybe better if they know that uh, the funds can go to innovation yeah. rather than to the problems that are like the usual issues. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. Would you agree to that? Yes. So this is a gross simplification, but I'd say the donors generally fall into those who are looking for immediate impact and those who are looking for maximum impact. If you're looking for immediate impact, those are the type of donors who give to the Red Cross or UNICEF mm -hmm. or UNHCR in response to the refugee crisis that was yeah. caused by the Ukraine conflict. That is actually a, a, a really wonderful opportunity for us to connect those types of donors who want immediate impact to the emergencies program of WHO. So the WHO is pursuing goals of three billions and, and one of the billions is actually helping people in an emergency setting. That work of WHO, I don't think is well appreciated. It's more like Doctors Without Borders, people who are on the ground, boots on the ground, responding to a crisis and the faster you respond, the more quickly you can contain an outbreak, the more quickly after the floods in Pakistan you can prevent waterborne illness. Yeah. So that's important. And to your question, there are those donors, businesses, philanthropists who want to maximize their impact. They want to make sure that cancer medicines reach children. And so in that case, the global uh, accelerator for pediatric formulations, which the WHO hosts, is a perfect place to direct them. Or they want to make sure that they're driving science and innovation. And in that case, we could say, okay, the WHO's guidelines program, which takes new data about how to prevent and treat disease, translates that to normative guidance and then helps countries take that up. That might be the program. There's another program that we're working on at WHO currently called the Transition to Scale Fund. The idea of that is to create a pot of resources so that specific country innovations can be scaled up in that setting. It doesn't need to be a global solution. Mm -hmm. That is a, a separate approach. So yes, we are pursuing funding for the WHO's emergencies program because it's life-saving and there's a lot of donors out there who want to do that. Mm -hmm. And we have a set of investment opportunities that are more about maximizing impact through the platform that is the WHO and that appeals to a different set of donors. Nice, thank you. Um, with, with so many emergency priorities throughout the year. Uh, how often are donors asked for help within the fiscal year? It's a great question and and particularly in the context of emergencies. I spoke with a, a business representative last week at, around uh, the UN General Assembly in New York and she said we just made a big contribution to Ukraine but then there's the food crisis and now there's Pakistan the world as it is today is one in which we are facing emergency after emergency after emergency. Some of them make the headlines, some of them do not. There are tens of millions of people at risk in Yemen and Tigray. There are a lot of people who are still in need in Syria and in Afghanistan where many organizations are no longer operating. So you're absolutely right that we need as the WHO Foundation to support the breadth of what the WHO is doing in emergencies. And it was exactly for that reason that we launched last week 
what's called the Health Emergencies Alliance. We're asking businesses to contribute a certain amount each year for a few years so that we can have some flexible funding that goes directly to the WHO's Global Health Emergencies Appeal and their contingency fund to respond to an emergency when it happens. So it's money that goes to the emergencies program, not to Pakistan, not to the Horn of Africa specifically. What we hope we can do by getting these businesses on board is then also say to them, when the next crisis happens, we, the WHO Foundation, will help you stand up within 24 or 48 hours an ability to give to that crisis through your customers and your employees. Because often we think of a business as having the ability to write a check. Mm -hmm. But actually the amount of money that a business allocates for that type of CSR activity is limited and finite. But one of the ways businesses can contribute a lot is by giving us access to their employees who want to be generous in the moment of an emergency and to their customers and stakeholders. So what we're doing with the Health Emergencies Alliance is, one, we're saying to businesses, support all emergencies, not just the one in the headlines. Two, be a member in a community where you're pitching in some flexible funding every year for the WHO to spread that to where it's needed. And three, be ready when an emergency hits to give your stakeholders an opportunity to respond to supplement what the business can do on its own. Nice. And in return? Well, in return, we're setting up that ability for them to give that opportunity to their employees and their customers. So oftentimes, that's what a business lacks. A business wants to show and align their brand with responsiveness to an emergency, but they need an infrastructure and they need an implementer to do that. What the foundation can do is the infrastructure, what the WHO can do is be the implementer. So that's what we're trying to bring to the business. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you, you define the foundation as unique in the area of world health. Um, having so many organizations in the same field, yeah. what makes it unique? Well, it's a good question and it's a good challenge. A lot of the last 20 years has been witness to creating many new organizations in global health. The Global Fund, Gavi, Unitaid, various product development partnerships. And now in the response to the pandemic, there's consideration of even more organizations and initiatives. So I don't want the WHO Foundation to be duplicative or competitive with a crowded ecosystem. What I think makes it unique is that in the WHO's 75-year history, they've never had a foundation. So unlike UNICEF or the Red Cross that has national committees or affiliate organizations that are out there trying to mobilize more opportunity and engagement with the private sector, the WHO has never had that. And yet the WHO plays a critical and central role in the global health ecosystem. So what I think is unique about the WHO Foundation is that we can combine the platform that is the WHO and the brand that is the WHO with that engagement with the private sector. And I don't mm -hmm. think that's been possible before. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there will be a time where the donors will be able to trace their dollars to the final beneficiary? Yeah, I, so this is an interesting question and I, I find there there's often a reaction to the idea of attributable impact, which is we can't create such a heavy infrastructure for monitoring and evaluation 
that we're putting more effort in the monitoring and evaluation than we are to the implementation. And I agree with that. But I think what you can do is be robust in explaining how a dollar or a euro or a pound has impact on someone's life. So the guidelines at WHO, when you support the guidelines process, are you supporting the delivery of a medicine into someone's mouth? Mm -hmm. Yes, but not directly. But you can make that case pretty powerfully. Today, the medicines you use to treat drug-resistant tuberculosis, the recommended medicines, are different than they were 18 months ago. The reason they're different is because of the WHO. Now what's recommended is a six-month course of medicine that's less toxic and more effective than what was previously a nine-month course of medicine. If you can reduce by half how quickly that new recommendation actually sees implementation, you're saving a lot of lives. If we can show that set of activities, you can have an argument around causation that makes the donors really proud of what they've done, which doesn't set up a heavy infrastructure mm -hmm. for monitoring and evaluation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My point is being able to defensively explain how investments change lives, I think is non-negotiable. That does not mean that you have to have heavy reporting. What it means is that you have to be compelling and defensible in how you articulate how the funds were used. And that can be assessed in different ways. I think the Global Fund has set up an interesting mechanism, a compelling mechanism with its inspector general. It is performance-based, it is trust-based, but it has a mechanism so that there can be an investigation if there's a, a concern about fraud that the funds weren't used as they were intended to be. I think that type of an approach where you can have compelling and defensible logic and where you can tell stories that are indicative of broader implementation and have mechanisms for accountability to show when the use of funds is not as was intended, that can create a robust system where you can go to the donors and to the public mm -hmm. and make clear how the funds are being used without <laughs> tying a report to every stage of the process. Great. What is keeping you awake at night apart from raising money? Whether we can act quickly enough, I think this is often the challenge of a startup. A startup is created because there's a great need and a great opportunity, and as a consequence, there's great expectation. What keeps me up at night is the fact that there are so many people in this world who are suffering, who are dying needlessly. I read stories in the last week about children starving in the Horn of Africa and in the Sahel region. And we did a donor event last week. And I took the story and I asked people in the audience to tell me the names of their children and parents. And I replaced every name in the story with the name of a loved one from the audience. And I read them the story to try to increase the sense of urgency about the human need that exists in the world today. You and I are taping this in Geneva. This is a very comfortable place to be. And I think it's easy to lose connection 
with that urgency in places that are not Geneva. That's what keeps me up at night. I'm not raising money to be a successful fundraiser. <laughs> I'm trying to raise resources so that they're translated to an impact on human lives. And because the need is so urgent, the fundraising and the role of the WHO Foundation, those are urgent too. I want us to keep pace with the needs in the world. And that's hard. It's hard to do because the needs are so great and it's hard to do because we're a startup, but we're committed to trying. Thank you so much for your time and I wish you all the best in this fantastic venture. Thank you. <laughs>